Bible worm, Bible worm, reading the Bible with Bible worm. Welcome to Bible Worm, getting to the core of the biblical text. I'm Dr. Amy Robertson, Director of Lifelong Learning at Congregation Or Hadash in Sandy Springs, Georgia. And I'm Dr. Robert Williamson, Professor of Religious Studies at Hendricks College and the founding pastor of Mercy Community Church in Little Rock. We're here every week to discuss the biblical text, both as biblical scholars and as people of faith, one Jewish and one Christian. This week we read John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, the story of Jesus being taken into custody by the religious authorities. We try to climb into the character of Paul, the one disciple who defends Jesus with the sword, one of only two who chooses to follow him into the next dangerous place, who then unravels before our eyes in his loyalty and denies him. We think about this in light of Jesus' attempt to send the disciples home once he has been arrested. Jesus' recognition that humans won't have the strength to be with him as his story unfolds. We reflect on how both of our faiths, Jewish and Christian, are built with the understanding that humans can strive and strive and have the very best of intentions, and we will still have gaps where we will need grace and forgiveness. It is a wretched thing to fall into the gaps. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Bobby, how are you? Hey, Amy, I'm doing great. How are you this week? I'm pretty good. I'm especially glad to have an interfaith, a Christian, not just interfaith, Christian conversation partner this morning because my children asked a question last night that I could not answer and my lapsed Episcopal husband also could not answer. And the question (laughs) is this. Are you ready? Yeah. They are aware of Ash Wednesday Uh and they are aware of Lent. Okay. And they are aware that you that people often give something up for Lent. Yeah. But they asked, like, does Lent map onto the story of Jesus's life in some yeah. way? Like, because a lot of the the not always, but often these periods of time in the Jewish calendar, you know, we're remembering the years in the desert or sure. that, you know, so it, it maps onto the story. So does it? Yeah. Does it map? Or is that That's not such an that interesting works? question, and it's a timely question for this week too, because we are—I mean, we're we're well into the season of Lent by now, but we are actually in the narrative lectionary. You know, in the in past years, we've sort of felt like we had to do a Good Friday episode, or else we wouldn't talk about the crucifixion at all. Like we would just jump from the Last Supper to the resurrection. Yeah. And this cycle of the narrative lectionary, we're actually going to spend looks like four weeks in a special special episode, Good Friday, yeah. talking about the events like immediately leading up to Jesus's crucifixion. And so as we prepare for Easter, which is what Lent is kind of doing, that's also what the text is doing. So I love that mm-hmm. question and, and I love asking it today. I mean, the, sh- the, the short answer is that, you know, what Lent is doing is it's anticipating the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. So it's big picture, Mm -hmm, a way of mm -hmm. Christians preparing ourselves. So we don't just like (laughs) live our lives and then it's Easter. Yay. But so Mm -hmm. we sort of experience the, the difficulty, the deprivation, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. challenge, you know, live, live in the, in the, the deathliness, I guess, of the world 
mm-hmm. before we uh, then turn to the resurrection on Easter Sunday. In terms of mapping on to Jesus's life, you know, Lent is 40 days uh, minus Sundays. And mm. so once you put That's it in those terms. That's you get a little break. Okay, I like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> and there's a debate amongst us about whether Sundays are like, you know, if you have taken on a Lenten practice, are you relieved of that practice on Sundays mm-hmm. or are you not? Mm-hmm. So the 40 days, you know, the, the thing that it maps onto most clearly is actually at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry in the other gospels is the 40 days that Jesus spends in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, which in turn maps onto the 40 years in the wilderness and the mm-hmm. Pentateuch where Israel wanders in the desert and the sort of the trials of desert life. And chronologically, like that experience isn't anywhere close to the Easter experience in terms of the the narrative. Uh, But this sort of the idea then is if Jesus went through those challenges and was tempted by the things of the world, then here's where we give up something that, Mm -hmm. you know, is a challenge for us to give up, something that calls us into the world instead of, into the way of Jesus, mm-hmm. and we give that up, and we experience what that's like to have to live without it, and it sort of prepares us for the crucifixion, resurrection story. Very interesting. Now, when you said, um, you know, it doesn't like chronologically, it doesn't come right before the crucifixion. It had me thinking about the teaching that there's no before and after in the Torah. Like, there's no. Yeah. We read it as a chronological thing, but yeah, but a lot of religious folk when they read the story like any text can talk to anything like there's yeah. no you're not you're not beholden to some kind of timeline so that's a that's a cool thing to um a cool lens to use for yeah. for the lent lenten time also yeah i think that's right and honestly that's one of the things that i've loved about doing this podcast and doing this podcast with cast with you is when you're spending every week in all of these texts and, and the narrative lectionary in its own way has connected texts together for us but yeah. You can start to hear all of these conversations across the text with texts that don't directly have anything to do with each other, but yeah. you can start to make, and then scripture becomes like this beautiful kind of tapestry of interwoven stories it really is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And a lot of us, you know, if you just listen to 20 verses of scripture read every Sunday, you miss yeah. out on a lot of that. But when yeah. you linger over the text for a, for a while, as we do week to week, you can start to, you start to inhabit that kind of in your, in your own life. Well, let's inhabit a text today, Bobby. Let's do it. I'm a little scared to inhabit some of the texts we have coming up in yeah. the next several weeks, yeah. but we're, mm-hmm. that, that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. Okay, so we are reading today John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27. We last read from John chapter 13. Right. So, and and I think you told us last time that it was the— Oh gosh, what was the name for that this group of texts? It's called it's often called the farewell discourse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've missed a lot of farewell discourse. Yeah. You know, comparatively speaking, obviously this is not, you know, a, an advanced course in John, but what do you <laughs> think we need to know to move forward with today's text? Yeah, I mean the farewell discourse is such a lovely text and, you know, it's Jesus talks from where we were last time in chapter 13 all the way through the end of chapter 17. It's the last mm-hmm. night of his life. He's explaining to his disciples everything they need to know to live when he's gone. He Jesus knows it's the last night of his life. So if you just imagine that scenario, yeah. Jesus trying to explain, okay, y'all, here's everything <laughs> everything you need yeah. to know. 
And so it's a beautiful, fascinating, and complicated text. I think probably what I would say in terms of getting us ready for this text is it's worth going back and reading, but you don't actually need it in order mm-hmm. to get where we're going today. Mm-hmm. So you can logically go from the washing of the feet at the Last Supper in John 13 into John 18, and you don't really miss, you know, you can make sense of this text. You miss a mm-hmm. lot of interesting theological material. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But not like plot. Right. So much. Yeah, Yeah, that's one of the places where we struggle with this tension of like, is, is what we're doing trying to do a podcast on the Gospel of John? Or is what yeah. we're doing trying to do a podcast on the narrative lectionary, which is mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the Gospel of John? Mm-hmm. And I think we we try to do the second one of those most of the time. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to John that we're not actually going to get to talk about. That's really helpful. That's really helpful context. And, you know, when we pick up in verse 12, at least in my translation, the first word is so. Like, <laughs> so this is what happened. Yeah. So there must be something yeah. <laughs> before that. Can you catch us up at least in terms of the scene, set the scene for us in chapter 18? Yeah, the farewell discourse itself actually ends in 1726. Oh. 18.1 says after he said these things, and we're, then now we're back in the narrative. Got it, got it, got it. Basically, if you remember what ha- has happened in the text we read last time is that Judas, one of Jesus's disciples, had, had it put in his heart by mm-hmm. Satan, however you want to mm-hmm. read and understand that, mm-hmm. that he was going to betray Jesus. At the end of the farewell discourse, Jesus then takes his disciples into the garden, which Mm -hmm. in other gospels is called the Garden of Gethsemane, although we don't get that name here. And Judas then brings Roman soldiers to the garden in order to arrest Jesus. And that's his act of betrayal. Mm -hmm. Exactly in what way he betrays him, he reveals the secret place where Jesus and his disciples get together, maybe. Mm -hmm. There's also this kind of stark a depiction of the disciples are all gathered together and the soldiers are all gathered together. And it says Judas was with the soldiers. Mm -hmm. And so there's this like, whose side are you on? There's a very clear demarcation here that Judas is no longer on Jesus's side. Mm -hmm. When the soldiers try to arrest Jesus in this gospel, Jesus is actually very forthright. Are you Jesus? Yeah. I am. Yep. (laughs) He is not trying to pretend. Yeah. Yeah. When the soldiers actually try to arrest him, then Peter takes his sword and cuts off the ear of one of the slaves that has come along, whose name is Malchus in the Gospel Mm -hmm. of John. And then Jesus says, put away your sword. Yes. And this line that's really, I wish this were in the lectionary, but it's not, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but says, am I not to drink the cup that the Father has given to me? Like, you cannot prevent this from happening because this needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It And so, yes, here in this gospel, Jesus is very much, you know, in, in other gospels, Jesus prays that the cup might be taken from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, here, Jesus just says, I've got to drink this cup. And so anything you do, including violent resistance to the arrest that's taking place, this is not in keeping yeah. with the plan. So put yeah. that sword away. And we, we've got to do this. We've got to do this thing. Yeah. Mm. So many questions about that, but that is not in the narrative lectionary. So I'm going to hold my tongue, Bobby, for once <laughs> yeah. in my life. Yeah. Okay. I think that sets us up for what we need to know beginning today's reading. 
Wait, wait, there's one more thing that I think is relevant here that I forgot to say is that yes. I said there was Roman soldiers, which is true. It is also some of the Pharisees and Jewish leaders. So there's like yes. a, this interesting moment where it's both the Roman Empire and the leaders of the Jewish people who are together mm-hmm. over and against Jesus here mm-hmm. in, this, in this scene and in the scenes to come. And that combination, I don't know quite what we're going to end up doing with it, but mm-hmm. that Jesus is opposed by both of these groups Mm-hmm. Is pretty important, I think. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Both of these power structures are against whatever whatever Jesus is trying to do. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm reading from the NRSV, and I'm picking up in John chapter 18, verse 12. So the soldiers, their officer, and the Jewish police arrested Jesus and bound him. First, they took him to Anas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it was better to have one person die for the people. Okay, now there was only two verses, but I just want to pause for a minute there to make sure we understand where we're at. So they took him to the father-in-law of the high priest? Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's a curious detail in the Gospel of John. It actually seems to reflect the historical circumstance in a really interesting way. Josephus tells us in the Jewish War, one of his important books, Josephus, as you well know, the first century Jewish historian who wrote histories of the Jews, Mm -hmm. that there was a high priest whose name was Anas. I say Annas because I'm from Arkansas, uh, but your pronunciation is better to the, uh, to the original, and that he was a high priest and that he, when his time was up and whether it was that his term expired or whether he was removed from office by the Romans, it's a matter of some question, mm-hmm. but he also had five relatives who then became high priest after him. And so there's this sort of dynastic high priesthood that's taking place here And it's sort of this interesting moment where Caiaphas is really the high priest, but they go to to Annas and ask him. Mm -hmm. And so you kind of get this like power behind the power, you know, like the puppet master behind the puppet. Oh, interesting. Is it like a puppet priesthood? Yeah. So the real power is still held by the father-in-law, but the one on the actual, like, who is performing the actual duties of the high priest officially is the the son-in-law Caiaphas. Very interesting. I imagine if you're the high priest, you're pretty busy, like high priesting. Sometimes it's <laughs> yeah. nonsense. I mean, that could be true. Yeah, that could be true. I don't know. I am really struck by verse 14. This note that Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews yeah. that it was better to have one person die for the people. Yeah. What? And, I, and this is uh, referring back to, to something that was said in chapter 11, verse 50. Yeah. What, what do you think he is saying here? I feel like I see this shooting meaning out in two different directions, which I trust is actually happening because John likes to do that, but maybe it's just my crazy brain. What do you think is ha- What do you think he's saying? So this, the little text that you're talking about is in 1147 to 53. Mm-hmm. And it comes right at, right after Jesus has resurrected Lazarus. Mm-hmm. And so now we've seen that Jesus has power over death and he can bring light. Like it's this really interesting detail in the Gospel of John. The priests then in verse 48 say, 
if we just let this thing go, everybody's going to believe in him. And then the Romans are going to come and destroy our temple. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really interesting detail in this text because it gives you a sense of the situation that the chief priests and the Pharisees are in, mm-hmm. where they're caught between the Roman Empire, who supports their leadership, but only as long as it goes well for the Romans, mm-hmm. and the traditions of the people, which they're trying to protect. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying, you know, if the people start to follow Jesus and this thing gets out of hands, then the yes. Romans are going to destroy everything that we believe in. And so we yeah. need to do something that's going to protect our traditions from this imperial aggressor. Right. So you get this more complicated. Like sometimes it's just like the Jews and their leaders were in in cahoots with the Romans right. over and against Jesus. But that's not at all the way it's framed here. It's It's framed as they're trying to protect their traditions against mm-hmm. the Romans who are who are willing to destroy them if things go wrong. And mm-hmm. this is where their, ha- their hand kind of gets forced to do something. Mm-hmm. And so Caiaphas has said, it's better that one man die rather mm-hmm. than the whole nation be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is we need to kill Jesus so that the people don't follow him and then the Romans right. come and destroy everything. Right, because, he, because following him would be the downfall of our nation. That's right, yeah. And I mean, you see that play out uh, just a few years later in the Jewish rebellion in 66, where mm-hmm. the na- this kind of nationalist movement uh, arises. There's tension between the Jews and the Romans. The Romans come and destroy the temple. Like, you know, what yeah. they're saying here is It's not a true. crazy fear. Yeah. yeah, it's not a crazy fear. Interestingly, Caiaphas kind of accidentally prophesied what's true, right? It's so better that, that one man should die for the people. That's what I was noticing, yeah. yes, is in that context in 11... That's how I understood what was happening, was there was a fear that Jesus was going to lead them down a road that would lead to their destruction. And so they're protecting the people and saying, the only way we know to protect the people is to have this one man killed. Yes. And while, I mean, while killing someone is a rather serious thing to do in the Jewish tradition, if they believe that it is going to save the lives of all these other people, yes. then, you know, they have determined it makes sense. But you're exactly right. When they put it in this context, it's sort of like, well, that actually is the whole plan. That's God's plan. Yeah. Right? One person yeah. die for the people. That's the plan. Yeah. That's beautiful, Johanna and irony. Like, we've seen this all yeah. the way through. Characters yeah. say things that work on different levels. Caiaphas thinks he's saying one thing. John is saying, yep, you're right, but it means exactly you're the right, opposite of what wrong. you thought. Yep, mm-hmm. yep, yep. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful, John. <laughs> okay. So the plot thickens, Bobby, starting in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple followed Jesus. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest, but Peter was standing outside at the gate. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the woman who guarded the gate, and brought Peter in. The woman said to Peter, You are not also one of the man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the slaves and the police had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing around it and warming themselves. Peter also was standing with them and warming himself. Mm. I just feel like I need to underscore... Something, again, from the beginning of this chapter that we didn't read, but once Jesus has clearly identified himself, and it's clear that the soldiers and police have come for Jesus, he says, let the disciples go. 
Mm, Let the other people go. Yes. And it appears that most of them went or did not follow when Jesus was removed from the scene. It's only Simon Peter and this other very awkwardly unnamed (laughs) disciple who, who take it upon themselves to follow Jesus. Yeah, that's a really important observation, Amy, and one that I think I was going to gloss over. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. And, you know, in that, in that verse where Jesus does that, he says this is, or John says this was so that the word he had spoken might be fulfilled. I didn't lose any of those whom you gave me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. Jesus letting the ones go keeps them out of danger, which, you know, now we're back in the good shepherd text and Mm -hmm. thinking about what does a shepherd do to protect his flock. I love your point there that these two disciples, Peter being one of them, kind of to, like they do something pretty brave, really, yeah. where they yeah. follow Jesus. Peter's going to get a hard. Peter gets a hard. I'm uh, fascinated and text. perplexed by Peter. So, but that's part of exactly why I want to yeah. trace this. Like he is the one who draws his sword. Yeah. He is the one who follows Jesus to yeah. this next dangerous locale. Yeah. That's right. And and then other stuff happens. Yeah. It adds your your line of thinking adds some complexity to this character that I think is really important. What does it tell you, if anything, that one of the disciples, the unnamed disciple, was known yeah. to the high priest? That's such an interesting detail. You know, we're not clear who the other disciple yeah. is. That the disciple knows the high priest, I don't know what to do with that. It it gives him it gives him an easy in into the yeah. courtyard that yeah. Peter does not have. Yeah. But what you make of the connections, I, I'm not I sure. Mean, like, I'm not, yeah. I, I don't know either. I mean, presumably he was not just known, but trusted. Right. You know, they don't, they, he is known, but not known to be a disciple. Or why would they yeah. let him in, I, I guess. But then when the woman at the gate asks Peter, she says, are you also a disciple? Yeah. Now, it seems to me that they know that the other disciple is Jesus' disciple. Okay. So they know they're letting in disciples. I think it's not entire. Like, I don't think it's necessary to read the text that way. But I think the text, you know, he went with Jesus. She says, are you also a disciple? Like, I, I think they know. Yeah. So the high priest knows that the other disciple is Jesus' follower. And yet he doesn't seem to be in any danger in this text. Yeah, there, yeah. Which I think raises an interest. I mean, I, I don't know where we're going to come out with this, but, you know, we've got one disciple who is known from the beginning is not in any danger. Peter, who is not known, is going to deny Jesus here and then, and then again a couple of times he, because he perceives exactly that he is in danger. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know if, if you then ask about whether Peter is not actually in danger, but is just imagining it because he's intimidated yeah. by the state apparatus or whether you would suggest that Peter actually is in danger because he doesn't have an inside connection yeah, maybe that's going to keep he's not him known. safe. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess that leads me directly into, my, into the next question that comes to my mind, which is, okay, so, so Peter tells the woman at the gate, I am not yes. a disciple. What? This I don't know how we would know this, but the question I have is, what do you think was in his heart? Like, 
Well, and when I first read it, I thought, well, maybe he's being practical. Yeah. And thinking, this woman's not going to let me in if I say I'm a disciple. And I need to be in there because that's, you know, where my teacher is. And, you know, and he is, and Peter has already demonstrated a willingness to, mm. you know, take on battles with Jesus. Yeah. What, I don't know. It could be that. It could be fear. It could be, I can't tell. It just seems like such a quick pivot from like, I'm going to follow you to this other location and then I'm going to immediately yeah. deny you. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that question, Amy. And you're making me think about this text differently than I, you know, I think I've got a little bit of a sim- simplified reading of this text, maybe based on the other gospels. You know, m- my tendency is to read it as at the last moment, Peter lost his nerve. Yeah. He's very brave in the garden when yeah. he's in Jesus's place with Jesus. Yeah. He's willing to use the, you know, the aggressiveness of a sword in order mm-hmm. to protect Jesus. Mm-hmm. But then here at the courtyard gate, it's not that. It's, are you willing to be vulnerable and risk your life in order to be with Jesus? And his answer is, I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to read it as he's willing to he's willing to be aggressive. Mm-hmm. He's not willing to really be a be a follower. And so in the process, he denies his discipleship, which is a bit kind of a big deal. Yeah, but I think you're right. There's other ways one could read it. If you if you play it out the other way, does it go anywhere? I mean, the other way, the road gets blocked a little bit as as you pointed out, that it does seem like that the folks inside know that the other disciple is a disciple. So, I mean, I guess I, I don't, you know, I don't, and again, like, I don't know what Peter knows about all this. Yeah. If you play it out the other way, it could be that at least for this, for this denial, that Peter is trying to follow Jesus and be where Jesus is. And the quickest way to do that in his mind is to try to be friendly with this woman who is at the gate, and and that involves deception. Mm-hmm. It de- it stands very starkly to Jesus, you know, so openly, like stepping forward in the garden and just saying, "I am," you know, yeah, and here I am not, yeah. yeah. It's interesting because you know, in the garden, as you were pointing out, when Jesus lets the disciples go. Mm-hmm. says, don't let them come with me. Don't take them. It's because he doesn't want to lose any of the ones who've been given to him. Mm-hmm. In the moment that Peter says, I am not, Jesus lost him. Now, mm-hmm. it turns out to be temporary, but not until the very end of the gospel. They're going to kind of get themselves back together post-resurrection. And so, I mean, w- whichever way you read Peter's motivations, the result is Jesus lost him. He he denied Jesus. or Actually, he doesn't deny Jesus here. Yeah. He doesn't say he doesn't know him. He just says he's not his disciple. He, he denies his own discipleship. Mm-hmm. And in that sense of what the Gospel of John means, I think, by discipleship as being a relationship, he's been lost. Mm-hmm. And so then you think back to the garden, and you say, well, why did Jesus not want him to come along? And it, I mean, one way of getting at it is to say these pressures of yeah, operating within the system, you. they're going to be too much for you. Yeah, you're going to end up denying me. You're going to end up getting lost even though you, you were trying to like stay with me right, right. more than the others did. You're going to end up getting lost. Right. 
whichever, whatever the motivation was, That's it was really too much for you to handle. Yeah. But then the message becomes something like you, when things get real, you should like just stay away, which I don't love that theology yeah. or whatever, but. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a protective, protective thing to stay away mm -hmm. because you know you can't handle whatever's going to happen. Yeah. Or Jesus knows you can't. Yeah. And then there's this detail about warming themselves by the fire. Mm. Which is just so poignant to me. Like when I first read it, I, my first thought honestly was like, is it that cold in Israel this time of year? But then I was like thinking back and I was like, yeah, it does. It can be. Yeah. Chilly. But this image of of the, you know, police and soldiers standing around the fire and then Peter choosing to stand by the fire with them. It just aligned so well with that that image you described in the garden of Jesus yes. of Judas standing with the one side and and Jesus and the disciples with the other. Amy, that's really lovely and I, I think that's exactly right. So you you get this kind of embodied portrayal of the denial Peter has chosen to stand with these with these folks who are not Jesus around a you know a fire which is light and warmth which is yeah. temporary yeah where Jesus you know is the light that came into the world and Peter is choosing this sort of earthly temporary thing over and against yeah. and it was beautifully sort of uh, um, symbolized in that in that positioning yeah yeah he chooses the the creature comforts I don't want to be cold <laughs> yeah I don't want to be cold. But I'm will but as you said I'm willing to do this grand gesture and take out my sword and cut off the ear of a slave but then when it come when I'm cold I'm just going to stand by the fire. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really Peter's been a really interesting sort of mirror for me to hold up to myself and be like in what ways do I do this? Do you want to talk about that? I mean, I was thinking about like what are the the grand gestures that I may have been involved in related to some issue of social justice or advocacy in the world that yet haven't trickled down to my everyday comforts, like where I choose to spend my money or, you know, in what environments will I speak out against something? Like it's, it's sometimes easier to speak from a stage to a big crowd, but when you're in a small yeah. social group, are you going to, are you going to say the thing, you know, like, are yeah. you ready to say the thing? Have you, have you gotten there yet? I guess this is sort of how I'm reading Peter when it comes down to it. He's, he's not there yet. I love that, Amy. And I, you know, I think that, I think that is a really, really helpful way to read Peter as a mirror on humankind, which includes you, the reader. And the question, like we all should be asking that exact question. And it is interesting that Peter fails in both ways, right? When he feels yeah. safe, he becomes aggressive and violent. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, that's not it. And then when he's vulnerable in somebody else's space, he becomes afraid and denies who he really is or who he really follows. And, you know, I see the, both of those things. Like I either overreact, you know, like I, yeah. I can be angry or yeah. I can be scared. Yeah. Those two things often go together. Right. Yeah, and they both are ways in some way of, I guess, seeking control of the situation. Mm -hmm. Like you try to control it with violence or anger, mm -hmm. or you try to, 
control. But just as you said at the beginning, it's the the vulnerability that is required from this moment. He's just not. Yeah. He's not up for that. Yeah. And both of those things in this text are, they're not exactly both denials of Jesus, but they are both ways of not following, not being disciples of Jesus. This is not what Jesus desired, seemingly in either case. Mm -hmm. He would rather have Peter have stayed away. Right. Right. That was his suggestion. (laughs) Yeah. Hello, fellow Bible worms. My name is Amy Marie Epp. I'm a pastor at Seattle Mennonite Church in Seattle, Washington. I support Bible Worm at the early worm level, $8 a month, and I consider that professional budget dollars very well spent. What I especially love about being a patron at this level is having access to those podcast episodes a week early, since I'm often working that far ahead on sermons or on worship prep. Also, by the way, I love the sticker, which I put on my water bottle immediately. Amy and Bobby's insight and wisdom have become an invaluable resource for me. I look forward every week to hearing them chew through that biblical text together with curiosity and with humor. It feels like I'm a part of the conversation. That's why I wanted to support them in making Bible Worm possible. It still feels like a gift each week to have that Patreon episode land in my inbox. I hope all of you who are listening will also consider becoming patrons. And now, back to this week's episode. Okay. Anything else you want to comment on from this section? I don't think so. All righty. Then we'll pick up in verse 19. Then the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. Jesus answered, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said this, one of the police standing nearby struck Jesus on the face, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered, If I have spoken wrongly, testify to the wrong. But if I have spoken rightly, why do you strike me? Then Anas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Okay. So I'm, I'm just going to be real with you, Bobby. Okay, yeah. Real. I love it when you're real. Jesus' answer to this question reads to me as a little coy. <laughs> yeah. Like this is the same man who like stepped forward so boldly as we were just saying and says, I am. I'm the one you're looking for. Uh-huh. He's not hiding who he is. Mm-mm. Why, why doesn't he, he doesn't, but he doesn't answer their question, really. He doesn't. Why? Lama Lo, why not? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think it's, I think that's the right question. And I think it's the question that John is sort of inviting us to ask. Here's my, here's my effort. Mm -hmm. This is the last night of Jesus's life. Tomorrow night. If, you, if somebody asks this question, Jesus can't answer it because he's no mm-hmm. longer here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so somebody has to be able to testify to Jesus. And Jesus has been telling people who he is for three years. People have heard 
they ought to be able, they've listened to him, they ought to be able to say what Jesus has said about himself. So on the one hand, he doesn't deny the essence of it, right? I Mm -hmm. am. Mm -hmm. But the details, somebody else is going to have to handle the details. Now, I don't know that that satisfies the whole question, but that's kind of where I start out. Where do you go with it? I've, I like your answer a lot, and um, I had not thought about it in the context of, like, Jesus cannot be the, 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 the only holder of this information or the go-to person to get this from, you know, for much longer. We need to, we need to start transitioning that now. I read it also, you know, and I think I suspect part of this was in the farewell speech that we didn't read. So, mm-hmm. so given that, I know that along the way reading the Gospels, often, you know, it will say Jesus then went off and spoke to the disciple, and the disciple was amazed and yeah. became a follower. But it doesn't, yeah. it. You know, we, it, there's there's no elevator speech here. There are no, like, bullet points to say, yeah. well, here were my teachings in summary for you. Like, they are complex and sort of interwoven and distributed over time into many different people's ears. And, yeah, you know, and, and you know, we've talked, too, I think, about the importance of different people holding different pieces of this. Yeah. That and mm-hmm. so in some ways it would it would run not quite counter purpose but to to try to give all the information especially to this you know <laughs> this audience I don't know we've we've said that the information maybe is intentionally shared among people and maybe there's some of that in there too I do think it's interesting that Jesus says in verse twenty I've said nothing in private. That's not true. (laughs) I know we just had, you know, chapters 13 to 17, five chapters out of the Gospel of John where Jesus talking to his inner circle in private. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And some of his most important teachings are in there. So like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't know, Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you can get the gist from the, the public teachings. Yeah. Yeah. We've also talked along the way, Amy, about the sort of contrast between the official holders of power and interpretation even versus the populist, you know, the people and how, you know, we've seen this tension in the way that these two groups kind of interact with each other around Jesus. And in one sense, this is just another instance of that where Jesus is sort of saying, well, I I can't explain to you who I am. You need to go down to where the people are yeah, and you need to pay attention to what the people are saying. Yeah. But you're not going to do that because you're a person of you're a person of power yeah. who doesn't go among the people. Like so this could in a sense be a critique of people in positions of power in yeah. that way. That that's really interesting and the ways in which when all the information is distributed among the people it's sort of like you can have one person that you sort of I don't know if it's really fair to call Jesus a scapegoat in this environment because it you know, Jesus is is <laughs> is the one, like legitimately is the one. But you can you can get rid of one person, but if it's the whole people who are, you know, sharing and testifying to this, then it could really be more of a threat to mm-hmm. power structures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. 
The other thing that occurs to me is, you know, in this, this trial is going to result in Jesus's death. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And <laughs> he's not giving them any, you know, it's like, well, do you take the stand in your own defense? Because the prosecutor is going to figure out a way to manipulate what you say mm-hmm. about yourself. Or at least yeah. this is the idea. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jesus is just withholding because he doesn't want them, he doesn't want to give them any reason that they right. they could even use to crucify him for like he wanted all to be on them like they decided to do it because they thought he was dangerous despite the fact that they didn't have any evidence uh, you look unconvinced well no it's not that I'm unconvinced because that's that was like you know part of my thinking as I was reading yeah. it too but then I'm thinking back to when Peter drew his sword and he was like no this has to happen yeah that's true. And I think that goes back to my sort of ongoing wrestling and tension with like, what, what does it mean that it had to happen? And when we yeah. reflect back on it, how does that, how do, like, how does, to be honest, blame come into the yeah. picture, you know, as a yeah. community that is often blamed for this outcome? Yeah. You know, why, why wouldn't Jesus just say whatever is going to, whatever is true that's going to piss them off. And I'm like the, the crucial question in there is what is the, this in that sentence that is the, the, this that has to happen. Is it, Mm. is it the fact of Jesus's death? Like I need to die and like by hook or crook, like whatever Mm -hmm. I have to do to to get them to kill me. Mm -hmm. Or is the, this that Jesus needs to be killed by the power structures who have no evidence that he's actually done anything that he deserves to be killed for. Mm. I tend to read it that second way. It's not simply the fact of Jesus's death, but the manner of his death. The the reason he's being put to death is because he raised Lazarus from the dead, according to the Gospel of John. Mm -hmm. So this one who brings life into the world in the midst of an empire that functions by wielding death, he's dangerous. But they can't say that, right? we can't say we're going to kill this guy because he can bring life. They have to say something else. And mm-hmm. so he's saying, I'm not going to give you anything else to say. You're mm-hmm. going to have to kill me knowing what you know for contrived reasons. And that's the this, like Jesus's death is going to expose that that's the way the world works. Mm-hmm. And if he said who he is and they'd use that as a reason to kill him or not even who he is, but yeah. you know, if he makes some claim that is clearly blasphemous, Right. Although he has said I am, which is pretty, which yeah, is pretty but that's blasphemous a, you know that sort of yeah just comes right up to the line, but is a little ambiguous. Yeah, I kind of want to. Th- I kind of want to let that one float in the in the possibilities of yeah. You know, J- no, Jesus I think needs that's. To- I think that's really interesting, and I think um, and so I I kind of need to see how the rest of the trial goes yeah. in John. To see- <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah how it plays out and what excuse they do wind up yeah. using. Yeah. Mm, God, the world is just a hot mess, Bobby. Yeah, you're not kidding about that. Yeah, that's my summary. Okay, the world's a hot mess. Yeah. I will say w- one of the odd things about recording Bible Worm is that we do record in advance, and so you never quite know what's going to be happening in the world by the time yeah. the episode comes out. Yeah. And yet, it is almost always true that even if something different is going on in the world, by the time the episode comes out, it is very much of a part it of is. whatever was going on when we record. Yeah. And it's very much a piece of what was happening, you know, in the Roman Empire in this text. And so there is a sense here of 
the ways that human beings are and the ways that power structures work that is yeah. perennial. That raise, whatever, whatever the moment we're in, these issues seem to be consistent issues. Yeah. Yeah, yes. And that, that's been a, a challenging thing for us as we've tried to release episodes earlier because people want them earlier so they can prepare, which all yeah. makes good sense. But yeah. in the early days, we used to comment a little bit more <laughs> about what was going on in the news, yeah. and now we don't because we don't know if it'll make sense. Yeah. However, I trust the world will still be heavy with violence oh and yeah. power. Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting to me that the guard takes offense at Jesus. Mm-hmm. How can mm-hmm. you speak t- to the high priest that way and slaps him? What? How do you read that character? That's such an interesting question. You know, I, and I love that you pointed out that it's the guard, which, I mean, the text says, but I hadn't really, you know, alighted upon that particular detail. Do you see any parallel between, no, well, okay, I'll just ask. Do you see any parallel between him doing this and Peter responding Mm. to the perceived threat against Jesus with the sword? Like, we protect our leader. Yeah. I haven't ever thought about that connection, but I love that connection. Can you can you press that? I mean, when I read the text earlier without thinking about the Peter piece, it just read sort of as man, we are attached to our power structures wherever we are in the power yeah. structure, even the yeah. people who are not on top. Yeah. It organizes our universe in a way that it's so scary to think about that organization falling apart, even if you're in a crappy place in the lineup. Mm -hmm. And so the attachment of the guard to, you know, the idea that you have to be totally deferential to the high priest, I don't know, just seems to underscore that. When you put it together with Peter— I think the first thing that comes to my mind is just that Jesus immediately says no. Yeah. You know, like that is that is the natural inclination of people living in this society and living in most societies. But by virtue of being a disciple of Jesus, you it's, it's not clear to you that that's not what we're supposed to be doing. Although, I don't know. I, I mean, I think there are other cases where I think Jesus would want people to stand up for his honor. So it's, it's an interesting, yeah. I mean, it, it gets really complicated really fast, but I love, love, love that sort of trajectory that you've opened up there. And, you know, you were talking last couple of episodes, I can't remember exactly when, about the Calva Homer, that mm, if this yeah. is so, how much more so? Yeah. And, you know, there's one of those kind of at work here that this guard is defending merely the honor. Like, how dare you, like, insult him with this cagey answer? Right. And, but Jesus has said no when his actual life is in danger. Yeah. And so if Jesus is going to not allow you to stand up for his honor that way, then how much more so is it ridiculous to be slapping right. people? Right. The other thing that you've made me think about is, you know, the last text that we read was Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And what we talked about in that text was Jesus is upending the social order. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that people that you think deserve honor, like it's not on, it's not on you to pay a honor to people because they are more important than you, right? It's on honorable people to lower themselves 
into the position of servants for people that are less important than them. It's, he flipped it. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about how hard that is for human beings at all levels of the social structure, because it's it makes you like once you start flipping those mm-hmm. structures, the structure falls apart mm-hmm. and the structure works to yeah. like if the alternative to structure mm-hmm. is no structure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People often will prefer the structure even even if it doesn't exactly work for them mm-hmm. because the alternative is too scary. I think yeah. that I think that's really lovely. I think there's something really important there. Yeah, I mean it's making me think to like the the story of the Exodus and how the Israelites in the desert after a couple of yes. days they're like, let's just go back to Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. At least we knew this the deal. We knew yeah. what to expect. We knew what the system was. We knew some small ways to manipulate the system in our favor. Now we just have no idea, and we're, like, out yeah. here floating and totally vulnerable. Yeah, that text we read way back at the beginning of the season in Exodus 16, I think that connects exactly to what you're talking about. Yeah. I love that connection. The other thing about that Calvachomer that it has me thinking about, that sort of if this is so, all the more so this other thing is so is, you know, of course, that the high priest is supposed to be the point of connection between Israel and God. Yeah. And, like, you know, they've got, like, God in the room here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, of course, they don't know, but but it just, it makes the whole scene, thing seem so silly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. And, you know, in the logic of the Gospel of John, Jesus has— told them that, right? He has said, I am, which we've talked about, has important resonances with Exodus 3. And so in some ways, if you know that detail, if you don't, or if you know that detail, you know everything else. But if you don't believe that detail, you're not going to believe anything else either. So I think that may be at at work here too. You haven't believed it when I said who I am. So why why do I need to tell you what I've said? Right. And... It, it, it just as you're saying, if you have, if you're not aware of those other things, or you haven't been paying attention to them, or haven't been tuned into them in the same way that you know we have been over the course of these conversations, if I just read this text as I started out by saying, like, I see why they didn't like Jesus's answer. Yeah. Like this is if a child spoke to a parent this way, this is what you'd say, like you're asking for it. Yeah. You know, like you're you're talking back. <laughs> answer yeah. my question. But yeah, with with all the other context in there, it really, it just pulls apart the whole, that impulse to respond to questioning in that way. Hmm, So interesting. All right. Shall I take us to the end? Yes. Okay. So picking up then in verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. They asked him, you are not also one of the disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, the cock crowed. That detail, at that moment, the cock crowed, is so like rich in a sensory way and uh you know you can sort of picture what time of day it is and yeah and it's also a it's a little bit of a weird detail again unless it's john just saying it was two o'clock when that happened yeah is there more to this for john 
It's so fascinating, Amy, the, what John is doing here. You know, in the other Gospels, in the Synoptic Gospels, the prediction that Peter's going to deny Jesus comes really close to the Peter's actual denial of Jesus. Mm-hmm. In the Gospel of John, the prediction that Peter's going to deny Jesus before the cock crows comes at the end of chapter 13, right after the washing of the feet in verses 36 to 38. Peter says, where are you going? Jesus says, you can't follow me where I'm going, but you will follow me later. Peter says, why can't I follow now? I'll give my life for you. Jesus says, will you give up your life for me? I assure you that you will deny me three times Mm -hmm. before the rooster crows. Mm -hmm. So when the rooster crows right here, John, the gospel writer, is clearly trying to get us to think all the way back to this conversation in 13, which we might have had in mind up until now. But if we didn't have it in mind, you know, and, and we're, I mean, we don't have it in mind because we didn't read that yeah. text yeah, yeah, yeah. in the narrative lectionary. But if you're uh, like reading through the gospel or listening through the gospel of John, you would be like, oh my gosh. And then that passage becomes some kind of key. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. key, but it's at least needs to be in the room when we're interpreting what's happening here. So Peter has said, I would even give up my life for you. And Jesus says, you'll deny me three times. Mm-hmm. And then now here, now here it is. But it's been, I mean, chronologically, like it's only been a few hours, but in the gospel of John, it's been, mm-hmm. you know, five chapters, which is a huge amount of, of, of text. Yeah. Mm. Peter, man. So, Bobby, I am trying, as you know well I like to do, to read as empathetically as I can to Peter. Yeah. And I got him through the gate that way. (laughs) Yeah. I even was sort of like, well, you know, he was cold and sort of lost track of of anything other than the immediate needs of his body, so he's standing around the fire I don't know what he has heard or not heard of this whole conversation that they're having. Yeah. But I just, at this point, it's it's getting a little harder yeah. <laughs> for him to be standing in the space with Jesus and hear this going down. He's still warming himself and twice saying, yeah. no, that wasn't me. Even with the detail of, we yeah. basically we saw you <laughs> we saw you in the garden no you didn't and uh it was a relative of the s- servant whose ear peter had cut off and so like that to me ratchets up like hey aren't you that guy that yeah. killed that chopped off my cousin's ear <laughs> yeah. right yeah. so now not only are you a follower of jesus but you're a violent follower of jesus and that would that would certainly like there's a it's not exactly a threat but like you can see now how that could be a dangerous Thing to have to yeah. acknowledge. Yeah. So do you think it's at this moment that it's fear? Fear or some combination of fear and like comfort, for lack of a better word? Like he's comfortable. Yeah. He's in a space that is maybe familiar to him. He's yeah. standing around the fire. He sees he can be in this club. Yeah. He's taken away from the other disciples. I don't know. I think it's all of those things, Amy. Like, I, I mean, this is one of the beautiful things about narrative, right? Is yeah. all of those things are kind of in play in this conversation, and and we can think about like, how, in what ways is that true? Like, what what is it about human nature yeah. that would make you deny 
Jesus in, in this exact moment. I'm coming back because it comes right after that detail. Uh, I want to read this through John 13, which we were just talking about. There, Jesus says, you can't follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter says, I'd give up my life for you. And Jesus says, no, you won't. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so this is the way that I read that. Like the, you can follow me later. Like that actually is going to happen in the gospel of John. But the question is, well, what's different later? To which I think the answer is on, on the other side, on, the, on Peter's side of the resurrection, you can't follow because death is the end, right? As far as you know, Peter, the end of this story is death. For me, for you, you can't handle it. Yeah. And so don't follow me because you're not going to be able to, like people cannot deal with death. Then I think what he's saying is on the other side of the resurrection, when death has lost its sting, now you'll be able to follow me but you can't right now. So I think Peter just gets scared here. He's scared of what's about to happen to Jesus. He's yeah. scared. He's protecting his own life because he thinks he thinks in these terms of when you die, you're dead. Yeah. He doesn't have the information yet, at least in any direct way, that in fact there is life on the other side of death, although maybe he should have gotten that from what Jesus did with Lazarus. And so I think it's just like when you believe that death is the final moment, yeah. death is all there is, you cannot handle it. You'll either become violent like you did in the garden or you will deny who you are like you're doing here. Yeah. Death is too much. So should we hold Peter accountable for that? Like, should we blame, for lack of a better word, Peter for it? That's such an interesting question, Amy, because I mean, a more pointed way of asking that question would be, I don't know if I'm allowed to ask this question. What's the difference between Peter and Judas? Judas denied Jesus. Judas led them to the garden, which maybe, like, he sort of it betrayed seems like Jesus Judas in turned that way. him in. No. Yeah, in this gospel, Judas doesn't take any payment or any bribe or anything like that. But he does bring the guards to the garden. Yeah, a little more. Act- and, he's like active instead of a little more passive. Yeah, like Peter is. I mean, I think Peter's denial of Jesus here is pretty complete. Three times he said, I'm not his follower. And so yeah. in that in that framing yeah. of this He's gospel, abandoned Jesus at this point. And when you think about that good shepherd text that we talked about and who do you let lead you out, Yeah, Peter is with some other flock of sheep at this point. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just the way that is. One of the things, like, and I think Peter is fully culpable for that. Yeah. One of the things I love about this gospel is that at the end, in the post-resurrection encounter, Peter gets a second chance. Yeah. And so there's this sense of which, you know, the way the story plays out in the end is even if you deny me because you did not understand your own human nature, yeah, I'm still going to come back and find you again. Yeah. We don't get that detail right here. Like we have to, we have to wait for several chapters before we figure that out. Yeah. So right now we're just sitting with uh, even Peter, who was the brave one, who pulled out his sword, who followed when he could have left. He he betrayed Jesus. And then I think we're all thinking like, so what could we do? In what ways might we abandon right. the things that we, I mean, Jesus in, in the case of Christians or the things that we care about? Right. 
I know you can't answer this question, but I'm so curious about what happened to the other disciple in there. Yeah. It just doesn't tell us anything. That's right. I think that's an interesting thing to think about. Especially as a potential model for Peter. Mm-hmm. If you got connections. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You'll, you should be fine. Hmm. I don't know what to do with that. Like, I think that's an interesting observation that this disciple seems to have no trouble because he's known. Yeah. So your connections will protect you. I mean, I think that's true. Yeah. But what do you what you do with that, you know, theologically? It's not as clear. Right, but it still is this like worldly sense of protection. Like in some ways, I wouldn't say he's no better, but like it's still relying on the power structures of the world that Jesus is trying to overturn. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. I'm not sure John is really wanting us to think about that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. it just yeah. sort of lets that detail drop. But yeah, some no, of the most interesting things to think about are the mm-hmm. things that, you know, the gospel is not really trying to point us to, but are nonetheless there. Nonetheless, you can ask any question. Why not? Okay. So we have reached the end of today's reading. Yeah. Stepping back a bit from it, what would you pull out for our listeners? I'm really struck by where you started this out, which is that Peter in this text is sort of um, holding up a mirror to us mm-hmm. and saying, what is, what is our nature? What are we going to do when, when the moment comes? And, you know, I was in a Sunday school class a long, long time ago with this super confident guy <laughs> who was like, you know, if I had been with Jesus in the garden, I wouldn't have denied him. And I was like, I mean, I think the whole point is you don't know what you would do. Right. Peter has said, I'd give up my life for you. He has tried to protect Jesus with a sword. He's followed Jesus into the heart of the, the imperial system. And, and he ended up denying. He, he didn't know. So part of this text, I think, is a warning about being overconfident in our own capacity to follow. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, what I think this text is applauding is this right? Is the disciples who just left when Jesus <laughs> told them to leave? I hadn't. I mean, I think they chose the better path of the available options. I mean, it's making me think back to the early, early text where Jesus's mother tells the servants, "Like, do whatever he says, even not necessarily yeah. knowing what he's going to say." Yeah. And it, and if we want to think, sort of along the lines you're suggesting, it is sort of a like, it's hubris to think that you're going to be able to do this thing that Jesus has told you you're not going to be able to do. It's hubris. So, so you have to let it go. But yeah, I I think, I think it, it's a tricky message because you're right. It, yeah, uh, it could go the other way. I think the way that I sort of make sense out of that for myself is reading back through the end of chapter 13. You can't follow me now, but you will follow me later. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot of talk in this gospel about knowing what time it is. Jesus says, it's not my time. It's not my time. Now it's my time. Jesus says, it's not your time. It'll be your time later. And so there's something in here, I think, about know what time it is Mm -hmm. and do things not because you think it's what you can do, but do Mm -hmm. things because... 
it is the time to do those things. Mm-hmm. And I think your point about hubris, I think your point about resorting to violence, I don't know if you made that point, but the, <laughs> resorting to violence is kind of human nature. Getting yeah. scared in the face of death is kind of human nature. Yeah. And so you can't trust yourself in these situations. What can you trust? You can trust what Jesus has said to you. Mm-hmm. And you can trust by the end of the Gospel of John, which has not happened yet, you can trust the good news of the resurrection that death, which is the thing you are so afraid of that's going to make you do the things that you cannot do or you don't want to do or Jesus doesn't want you to do anyway. Once the resurrection has, once you have really believed the good news of the resurrection, then you can do things that you can't do when you're, when you're afraid of the deathly powers of the empire. Yeah. So then I think there's some message there about you, you, we, whoever, mm-hmm. need to make sure that you truly, truly believe Mm-hmm. the good news of the resurrection on which everything else depends yeah. before you try to follow Jesus in this path. That sits in such a lovely way with the sort of reflective nature of the way you've talked about Lent mm. and, you know, and, and, and knowing the darkness of the world and also knowing, like really taking a look at yourself and, <laughs> you know, where, where you are in your spiritual maturity and, and being honest about it. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Know what time it is. When you read this text and think about its connection to contemporary life, where do you come out? You know, it's thinking about Peter is making me think of this very famous, maybe the most famous Jewish prayer called Kol Nidre that we chant um, the night before Yom Kippur, which is the holiest day of the year. And the, the words of the prayer or, or the purpose of the prayer is basically asking to be released from the vows that we were not able to keep. Mm. And when I was younger, mm. I used to think like, well, what the heck kind of prayer is that? Like yeah. then, And it has by anti-Semitic folk been thrown in the face of the Jewish community. Like, mm. look, they just pray once a year. Like, oh, now let me out of all the vows I didn't keep. It's like your yeah. get out of jail free card. But- It is the most mournful, haunting melody. Mm. And it as I get older, I I realize all the situations where like I I do in good faith promise to do things that I fully believe I will and can do. And for there are reasons sometimes that have to do with me or that have to do with other things I can't control that I I can't or I don't. And it's gut-wrenching. Like, it should be gut-wrenching. And it's true. Yeah. And I love what you were saying about, you know, after uh, after the resurrection, that that Peter gets another chance. Like, this is is a thing that people do. Yeah. In in good faith. Mm -hmm. And it's really, I think, been helpful for me to, to see that, seemingly strange behavior of Peter here and try to try to you know think like let's assume he's not a psychopath <laughs> and find yeah. a different reading of this yeah and the more I think about it the more I'm like that I, I do things like this yeah I really love that connection Amy and you know I connecting what happens here at the end of this gospel with the prayer Colnidre Yom Kippur. I think that's such a rich connection that all all the way through this tradition, 
um, that manifests itself in Jewish faith and in Christian faith, there is this sense that God, in one way or another, knows that at the end of the day, we are human beings who are not ultimately reliable. And there are ways of sorting that out. Yeah. So God sort of fills the gap where, where we're not capable. And I think the wrenchingness of this narrative and the wrenchingness of the prayer that yeah. you're describing, I think that is, that's the important connection. It's a critical piece of yeah. the puzzle. It can't just be like, oh, well, yeah. it has to hurt. It has to hurt yeah. you a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So when we see ourselves in Peter, like in what ways am I like Peter? That's one way kind of narratively of placing ourselves in that conversation. Yeah. So I think I'll be thinking about this text and Peter for a while. Yeah. Oh, Next okay. week we get to see what happens when Jesus moves from the high priest to the Roman prefect. So we'll see, we've seen the sort of Jewish trial of Jesus, and now we'll see the Roman trial of Jesus. Yes. Yep. In John, where are we? 18, 28 to 40 next week. Yes, and I am going to endeavor not to call Pilate Pilati, as I think <laughs> I did the first That was one of my year. favorite moments in Bible Worm. Pilati. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, Ooh, I thought the centaur was like the guy with like a like horse legs. <laughs> no, it's the centurion. The centurion, the centurion like, had horse legs. horse legs. Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, there have been some entertaining moments. <laughs> sure. Oh, it is always a pleasure to talk with you, Bobby. I will see you next time. All right, Amy. See you then. for joining us for this week's episode of Bible Worm. If you've enjoyed this free podcast, we hope you'll help us keep it going by joining our Patreon for as little as $4 per month. You can also sign up for other goodies like early access, video lectures, weekly liturgies, and more. Visit patreon.com slash Podcast for details. Bible Worm is produced by Bobby Williamson and edited by Joel and Laura Becker. Our theme song is sung by Colin Bagby. We're grateful to our many supporters for helping us keep the podcast going. Special thank you to our executive producer, Fox Valley Presbyterian Church in Geneva, Illinois, and to our newest supporters, Suzanne Gorau, Nathan Williams, and Jim Yao. Join us again next time as we continue in John chapter 18 with verses 28 through 40. Until then, keep on digging.